Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, welcome to Film Fandango, the film podcast. It's episode 200. Happy birthday, Film Fandango. Is it a birthday? What is it? It's an anniversary of sorts. It's an anniversary of how long it's been before since I've had a a a decent acting job, which meant I haven't done any work. Well, so what, you've been able to do this? Yeah. Well, you came in on episode 50, was it? So, 150 weeks. Yes. My name is Merrick Larwood. That is David Reed. Hello. And if you're joining us for the first time, uh, welcome, welcome. This is going to be very boring for you, I imagine, us reminiscing. Or maybe you'll get the entire back story to Film Fandango, so you can now carry on listening forevermore. Um, are you well, Merrick? No, I should explain. <coughs> Sorry. Merrick's dying. I've got a bit of a chest infection. Right. I've been poorly because I went... My girlfriend said to me, we should go and see... Dennis Seaver's house. Have you ever heard of Dennis Seaver's house? No. It's a place in London where this artist has turned this house and he's left each room how it would be, how it would have been in London in the 18th century or the 19th century. Okay. So it's exactly how it would have been with all the smells and the candles and all that stuff. What they don't tell you is the downside of it is I don't think that place has been cleaned in years. <laughs> so you've got some 17th century disease. I have got some... When did a play get sick? You got burnt out of Great Wild London. I have no. got some sort of tuberculosis from going to see a oh, uh, 19th century house. I went there. You're like Nicole Kidman in Moulin Rouge. Well, oh, she had tuberculosis, is she? Con- uh, consumption, I think it was. You're dying, Satine. What are the symptoms of consumption? Uh, you uh, you wear bodices. Start stripping. You, yeah, and you, you dance on trapeze. And then occasionally you'll cough blood into a little hanky. Oh. Does, has that happened yet? Well, I've done a lot of coughing. Yeah. I've got blooming consumption from a tourist attraction. <laughs> Well, never matter. It doesn't matter. At least we've got to episode 200. This is a film podcast with me and David talking about films we've seen and reading out letters from you, our ever-diminishing audience. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's amazing we've managed to get to 200 with uh, how fast it diminishes every week. Yeah. We just keep coming back. Just will not die. It will not die. Um, it's... 
it's odd to think it was 2011. Um, we just looked it up that we started Film Fandango, well, and that us, seems a, a terribly long time ago. Well, take this back because I, uh, for our regular listeners who are probably, I mean, we've we've received two emails about it being our tune of episode, so mm. there is a lot of excitement <laughs> about this. Well, maybe tell this us, episode is just for those two people. Tell us, David, mm. how did and why did you start this podcast off all those many years ago? Well, uh, I can't really take uh, all the credit. It, it, um, it was the brainchild of myself and Danielle Ward, once a uh, 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 co-host of uh, Film Fandango, and she was on the Dave Gorman show on Absolute Radio. Uh, every weekend, um, sidekicking Dave Gorman, and but she wanted to do a show of her own, and she suggested to Absolute something about films. So they went, uh, well, you know, we we can give you the studio space, and you can we can release it as a podcast. And so we uh, we pitched that to them, and they took it, and so that's what we did. And we did episode one, we had on uh, Izzy Sutty brought in the Woody Allen film Crimes and Misdemeanors. And I also got uh, to do some swanky celebrity interviews. So, episode one, right out of the gate, Orlando Bloom for the, the shitstorm of a film that was Three Musketeers. And who, uh, what other celebrities did you interview? Uh, Sean Bean I've done. Uh, I've done uh, Reese Witherspoon, Chris Pine, Justin Timberlake. Uh, I've done all the greats. And that was when this, uh, when this podcast said... Well, I didn't have any money behind it, but it was supported by Absolute Radio. You say supported. I mean, they did absolutely nothing, living up to their name. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they, they didn't even... Uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shit on them now. Why not? The reason we left Absolute is they wouldn't even pay for our cinema tickets. They gave us absolutely nothing. So we were paying Absolute to give them content. So we left. Yeah. Um, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't let us ask for money or get money from anywhere either. So we had to just pay to give them this show. Yeah, I mean it was really, really fucking cheeky. So no, that's why we left and uh, and took it independent eventually. But of course, Buddy the dog, who is uh, lying next to me as always, wasn't even born when we first started it. He, but um, we had to bring him into the studio as a tiny puppy who would piss on Absolute's equipment and stuff, and that was all. That good, was all good. good for Buddy. Good for him. <laughs> he got the vibe. He got what was happening. Uh, yeah. So what films? Have you has this brought to your attention? Of all the guests who brought in all the films, mm. are there any films that stick out in your memory as well? Well, we, you know, we we go back to this, and it is the bit of the podcast I enjoy the most is when people bring stuff I haven't heard of, and it's just fantastic. I mean, uh, Lizzie Roper's uh, World's Greatest Dad uh, was the first that actually the uh, listeners got very excited. About yeah, people still go talk about it. Absolutely fantastic film. One I actually was a real eye-opener for me was Dan Tetzel bringing in uh, Baron Munchausen, which is the uh, the tale of the folk hero of uh, Germany, Baron von Munchausen, but it was made during the Second World War, but it's this incredible sort of technicolour, surreal adventure that's really quite liberal. It's bizarre, but it, it, it's got Joseph Goebbels, executive producer, in the credits. I mean, it's... Ridiculous, you know. They'd... Do you think what a great producer he could have been if he hadn't have done, if he'd have concentrated on films and not done any of that bad stuff? Any of that bad stuff, he could be, you know, the new uh, Jerry Bruckheimer or the old one. The old one. I'm not saying Jerry Bruckheimer is a Nazi. Wait, you're, suggest- 
Was it your mildly suggesting? Oh, mildly suggesting it, but I've got no proof. I've got no proof. Um, yeah. Now I'm trying to think. What else? What else has been good? I mean, the people have brought in lots of stuff they've seen before, but it was just nice to see again. You know. But uh, young shot. My first appearance on Film Fandango. Yeah. Episode nine. Episode nine. Right? Young Sherlock Holmes. Brilliant film. Absolutely brilliant film. Do you still stand by that? Still one of your favourites? Yes, it's amazing. I'm saving it because I haven't watched it since then. So I'm going to save it for Christmas this year, I think. I, did I tell you that um, there was a there was a thing that happens in London every now and again called the Improvathon, where people do uh, an, a continuous improvised theatre show for a ridiculous amount of time, like 50 hours or Sounds whatever. I've awful. never been. I've never been long, but... It sounds like it's just a pack of arseholes. <laughs> Oh, you've met them? Uh, no, but what? Uh, but apparently, one was set in Victorian times. They always sort of give it a theme, of, you know. And apparently, uh, Alan Cox, who is Brian Cox's son, Brian Cox of films fame, uh, not of physics fame. Okay. Uh, uh, what? No, 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 not that. That's a different Cox. Oh, okay. Uh, that's Brian Glover, sorry. That's a different oh, Brian. Brian Glover, sorry, uh, yeah. No, Brian Cox from X-Men 2 and uh, and The Bourne Identity. And oh, all of that yeah, stuff. that being He's in everything. Yeah, yeah, He's in everything. Anyway, Cox, yeah. his son, Alan Cox, played uh, Dr. Watson in Young Sherlock Holmes. And apparently he came to the Improvathon and brought along uh, Nicholas Rowe as well. And they played Holmes and Watson for the whole thing. Wow. And of course he... recently Nicholas Rowe recently reprised his... Uh... role of Sherlock Holmes in Mr. Holmes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, no, it's a brilliant film, that one. It, it, I think it it would double bill nicely with uh, Muppet Christmas Carol, I think. I don't know why. Yeah. Well, um... If it wouldn't be uh, the 200th episode of Film Fandango without a letter from our most famous contributor. Who's that? His only blooming Chris Webb. And this one's about... superstar, Chris Webb. It's about 20 paragraphs long. Oh, Jesus. Do you want to read it? Cause of your no, because of my throat. <laughs> He's put his accent. He's a little bit Welsh, a little bit Hampshire. Good Who's luck. Hampshire? Well, it's just that it's Portsmouth sort of out way where where I we're pretty much just straight down. It's slightly getting what? Okay, <coughs> I'm just doing going to do it a little bit Welsh. Uh, dear David, American buddy, what kind of Annie Wilkes style number one fan would I be if I didn't drop you a line to wish you a happy two hundredth two hundredth episode? I've been an avid listener since the heady days of episode three. Real Steel, David Armand, the Jerk, fact fans. And it's fair to say that it's been my favourite podcast ever since. In fact... That episode? Yeah. Yeah. Just That's been his favourite podcast, that one there. That one there, where Number we talk three. about Real Steel with David Armand. The now retired David Armand. We've never we've never got better than episode three. No, no. I mean, it certainly went downhill from episode nine onwards. Hey, hey. Carry on. In fact, I may have listened to a few of them more than once. Who am I kidding? Even if, if I ever go on Mastermind, or if they bring back Bruce Forsyth's You Bet, Film Fandango would be my specialist subject. It's been great to see films you've recommended, which I normally wouldn't have considered. World's Greatest Dad, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, Anvil, The Story of Anvil. Also revisiting movies that I hadn't watched for ages, American Movie and Thread sleep to mind. 
I also now hate superhero films with a passion. Good. And use the term crick-crack as an actual genre of horror film. Some I haven't agreed with. I didn't enjoy Compliance or Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie, for example. Dickhead. <laughs> Absolute arsehole, Chris <laughs> Webb. But I wouldn't even have heard of them unless you've reviewed them, so all good. Right, that's the gushing adulation out the way. On with the discussions. Over the past year or so, I've endured a lot of kids' films. That's because I have children. I'm not slow or anything. While there have been many highs, recent hits include Sean the Sheep and Monster House, there have been more than enough lows. Please never watch Barbie's Fairy Secret or Jack and the Beanstalk starring Chloe Moretz. Something that stands out with most of them is that child actors are normally rubbish. I didn't notice this when I was younger. Macaulay Culkin used to appear charming and cheeky in Home Alone, Uncle Buck, etc. Now watching them back as a 40-something, he's just crap at acting. Some with Kehu Kwan, a.k.a. Short Round from Temple of Doom and Data from Goonies, and that boy from that rom-com with George Clooney and Michelle Pfeiffer. The classic Knight of the Hunter only, only gets nine Chrises because the little girl in it is laughably awful. I could go on. So, with notable exceptions aside, Jodie Foster, Kuvenzani uh, Wallace from Beasts of the Southern Wild, Kevin from Time Bandits, I would argue that most child performances in movies are so poor or annoying that they actually detract from the enjoyment of the film. Of course, I would love to hear your thoughts and discussions on the subject. I realise my comments make me sound really mean-spirited. This may be true as I was up at 2am with the baby, then my five-year-old acted like Damien from The Omen at breakfast time. Congratulations again on reaching such an impressive milestone. I'll do my best to keep watching the films and may even send you another email before episode 300. Loads of love, etc. from Chris and the New Zealand government. There we go. Chris Webb. Thank you, Chris Webb, for your lovely letter. Child performances, Marek. You for or against them? I hate them. Do you think short, old people should play children in films? You want... I remember cast Peter Dinklage as Bart Simpson. Peter in, Dinklage. <laughs> Live-action Simpsons. Peter Dinklage should just play all children. I think I don't think he'd like that. I, You know, he'd get a lot of work, but he's done quite well at avoiding that kind of role for people of his stature, hasn't he? I, I, I agree that the... Um, I can't pronounce her name, but the... Um, Cavangelo was beaten so the world. Still haven't seen it, but is she good? She is phenomenal. I remember. I'm so dependent on her. Do you remember that film? Um, oh God, my brain is just. You've got Marek disease. I've got Marek disease. What was it called? It was visually absolutely stunning. How how set sort of around Second World War era, but the plot wasn't great. Um, but had a little girl in it. Do you remember that? Oh, I'm not describing it well. How am I going to find this? There's so many this? films like this. Yeah, um, hang on. I think I can remember who directed it. So, yes, The Fall, it was called. Did you watch this? I'm sure That's the poster. Yeah, 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 the weird the weird one. that we, I remember that. Yeah. Anyway, The Little Girl in The Fall was absolutely brilliant, I thought. Absolutely brilliant. You, you know, it's, it's finding someone who isn't stage school that... Brings an actual childlikeness to the performance, you know, and it's very hard to do. When or they... you, you have, for instance, Jodie Foster um, or Haley Joel Osmond or one of these who's so like an adult 
that in the correct role they're good. You know, Jodie Foster in Bugsy Malone, they're the playing incre- adults. But so. she's incredible in that, and yeah. she's incredible in Taxi Driver. But I suppose it's going to teenager land, there, isn't she? She was about 12 or something then. Yeah. <coughs> Hayley Jorsman, he just does the same thing, and he gives me the, he gives me the creeps. Yeah, yeah. If they, act too, if they act like they're too adult, they give you the creeps. Yeah. And if they act like children... children the problem is, children are fundamentally annoying and you want to beat them up anyway. Yeah. Well, there was... I, I worked on a TV thing recently with a, there was a child actor there to do, like, a couple of lines. And she was the most sort of uh, stage schooly kid who you imagine, you know, probably auditions with the... There is a castle on a yeah. cloud! And has been drilled in it by her mum. But... She she actually said just like, oh they're so annoying. A lot of these a lot of these people aren't even professional actors. And she was like really? four or something. Trying to think who else is good. At, I mean, you could say Fred Savage in The Princess Bride. Yeah, I know he's playing, but because he was a child actor, I think he yeah, was a really yeah. good child actor. He's directing um, a really good uh, comedy show now called Party Down. They all, turn into, they all turn into directors, don't they? All yeah. The, yeah. Well, Ron Howard, famously, you know. And the Goonies. Maybe Chunk scene was quite good. He was good in the Goonies. Chunk was good. What did you think of... Um, of I, I couldn't pronounce his name. Short Round. Short Round and Data. I can't remember him being... I mean, he was quite bad, but the good ones were... Um, but to Corey Haim and Corey Fieldman, I know they're not probably yeah, kids, yeah, yeah. they're probably... They were young teens, weren't they, yeah. by the time? But no, they were excellent. I, I really love Corey Fieldman, I thought he was brilliant. And it's such a shame that he never... He went off the rails. Yeah, yeah. And obviously River Phoenix, but he's more of a teenager as well, I suppose. But even, um, I think there's one... Isn't Parenthood, is Joaquin Phoenix in that, really young in that? I think he's quite good. There's some rare families of kids that are good, but uh, in general, really annoying. <laughs> I don't want to watch any films with them. Well, yes, they can really ruin a franchise. They People like putting kids in sequels. Once the characters have got together in the first one, they, the natural thing is for them to have kids in the second. Ruined the Zorro franchise before it even began. Absolutely Appallingly irritating kid in the second Zorro film. Really? Yeah. Oh, so. Oh, God. Just want to punch him in his tiny little face. Well, there we go. It's just, just we uh, hate children. We um, hate children. We've got another letter in here. Uh, our second letter about our uh, 200th birthday. It's from David Christensen. <coughs> oh, do you want me to read it yeah, again? Yeah, you read struggling. it. What do you, does he say in accent? Uh, just do it like a Christian, a really, like a vicar, like a really um, Jobsworth vicar. Like a Welsh vicar. Not a Welsh, a really pious vicar. A really pious vicar. Hi again. Happy 200th episode. As a Commode and Mayo fan, I just wanted to defend the appearance of your recasting game in their podcast. It happened in a week when they were off on holiday. So it was actually Edith Bowman and Robbie Collin, Telegraph film critic guest hosting the show, that committed the offence. So leave Mark and Simon alone. What frustrated me the most was that the way it was first introduced as a topic of conversation was not how it developed. Initially, Edith asked for films that would have been great except for a poor central performance, which I liked as a question. And one and had one person write in to say they hated The Shining simply because of Jack Nicholson's performance. 
Then this was followed by the question of who would have been good instead, which was a reasonable follow-up and got some good stories about actors that were originally wanted for a part. But then someone else got it, like apparently Tim Roth was wanted for Snape in the Harry Potter films, which seems ridiculous after having seen Alan Rickman in the part. But then it just became basically your game about who would be in the remake. Anyway, congrats on your milestone episode and keep watching the films. Dave. Uh, that was a reference to my rant calling um, Mark Commode a prick, basically, for yeah. another game where it wasn't even him. It wasn't him. It was Edith Bowman you should have been calling a prick. But he's still a prick, though, right? Yeah. yeah. I uh, I went to a really weird party uh, uh, where Edith Bowman was there. It was very what, strange. What, a swingers party? No, when I met her, it was really odd. I, I, I don't think I've told this story before. What were you wearing? Okay, what was I wearing? Was um, it some sort of sex party? No, it wasn't. Well, I, it could have been. I didn't really stay that long. Was it supposed but, to be? Okay, I'll tell you the story. Okay. Uh, comedian Miles Jopp, who you know, and I, who's a good yeah, friend of mine. Yeah, Miles Jopp. Um, Just put him on everything on Radio 4. Oh, we'll have Miles Jopp or Susan Coleman. Okay, done. Done. <laughs> um, well, Miles Jopp and I were um, uh, having a drink somewhere uh, with a friend of his, and... Uh, when the pub closed, he was like, "Oh, I'm I'm just going to a party round the corner. Do you want to come? Like, it should be fine. It'll be Se- fine if you sex party. So just a party. We like, yeah, okay, fine. Did he yeah. say party? Any? Did he raise his eyebrows or do any? He did. Gestures? He did the inverted commas thing in the air with his fingers. Because okay. like, I'm going to a party. Um, no. So we were like, all right, fine. It, yeah, fine. Okay, we'll have another drink at this party. Anyway, we walk. What was far too far, actually. It wasn't just around the corner. It took about half an hour. Um, and went into this flat. Opened the... D- Dungeon. Opened the door. It was underground. It was in one of those, you know... Here we go, here we go. Dungeons. Opened the door, and in it was one of these, you know, quite a small flat, but living room kitchen. Um, but there were about, probably I'd say about 50 people crammed into there. And it was pitch black and it, they were all silent. And we walked in, didn't, obviously didn't know anyone. And they were all like, shh, shh, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. Close the door, close the door. And it was clearly, immediately we realised it was a surprise party and the person hadn't arrived yet. And so we feeling really awkward because we didn't know anyone but also we weren't allowed to speak to explain ourselves why we were there we went and pushed our way to the back in the kitchen and stood there awkwardly and just to try and break the tension you know miles miles or i would go well this is a bit awkward isn't it and uh people go shut up shut up shut up and i promise you we stood there in total silence for 20 minutes. Wow. Before so the the owner of the flat finally came home and they turned the lights on. It was like, surprise! And the person looked thrilled and they were like, oh, literally everyone is here. And then saw Miles and I at the back and had a clue who we were or why we were in their house. Oh my God. Anyway, then the rest of the night continued and we sort of, it was fine, but it was so awkward. Did you meet any new people? Edith Bowman was at that party. So you chatted to her? Yeah. Yeah, she nice. She was she was nice. Yeah, but a thief, I think. I got. Little, the, I got. Did you know she I, was just talking to you? Says so you can nick your idea. Yeah, yeah. I was telling her all about these these uh, these ideas I'd had for this game we were going to play on our film podcast, and you know, we just talked about that really. Well, the good news is that I bought in my book of films finally because you forgot it at, forgot it at New Year, didn't you? And everyone wants to know what <coughs> what are the few. 
highlights over over the past three or four years. Thanks to Film Fandango. And what are the lowlights? That's right, buddy. The worst films. The two one-star films. Only two? Yeah, two. Can you remember what they are? Oh, God, no. No, I can't. Welcome to the punch. Oh, yes. Um, welcome to the punch you absolutely hated. That was... Tell us what it was again. That was Mark Strong sort of... It was Mark Strong London and what's, gangster and what's his film? name who plays Dr. Xavier in uh, Je- uh, The Young Dr. Xavier. Oh, um, uh, James McAvoy. James McAvoy in some rubbish London gangster film. And the other one I hate, also one star, The Sweeney. Literally, oh, yeah. <laughs> someone pressing their arse against the their <laughs> shitty arse against the wall and sliding down it. I, that is a film. Of so you are about. not a fan of London gangster films. I'm then, not by a fan point. of them people doing, doing, uh, and saying effing this, effing that. I'm gonna effing effing him. I'm gonna effing effing that effer. <laughs> And that's all they do, and then they go and shoot someone and do it, drive around in a fast car. Are you going to go and more. see uh, Legend? Uh, this is the uh, Tom, Hardy Tom Hardy playing, playing both playing. the craze. I hope he does seemingly it. as Peter O'Hanrahanrahan and uh, and Chris Morris's character yeah. for the day to day. I hope I probably I will see this, but I hope they don't make it too London sweary. Yeah, the, the idea that every single one Cockney seems to be this two dimensional stereotype. Awful. It's a very London thing as well, the idea that the craze were brilliant. It's no like, one thinks they're brilliant. They're horrible. Thick, violent idiots. Yeah. <laughs> horrible thugs yeah. that they glamorise into being somehow Clark. Yeah. It's like whenever I see a funeral where it's someone, loads of people who look like gangsters, there's always a white horse and an old chariot pulling it along. Yeah. I mean, I just think that person must have been a total vibe thug <laughs> arsehole. <laughs> And there's always flowers there that say granddad and something. It's always what you think. Criminal. <laughs> definitely. 100% definitely. <laughs> that person was a really horrible criminal. That was somehow supposed to be charming, but uh, just stole all their money from people. Um, and what? What were the real surprise films? That you think this film's going to be rubbish and it's going to be awful. Do you do you note that down in your book? Do you have a surprise I symbol? I can what remember you... one. Like my, oh, okay. my week with Marilyn, I watched that totally by accident, and I thought that was a, a surprisingly good film. Not a, not an amazing film, but was a, it? I gave that an eight. There's a film called Kings of Devil's Island. I don't even remember you talking about that. I don't know if I did. It's about a film about this Norwegian sort of school children who are sent to this Borstal on this island. It's got Stalestenskart, what's his name? Dennis Stalestenskart in it. Okay, yeah, yeah. If you ever want to think, watch a film, it might be good that's set around the Nordic sort of area. Yeah. Check if he's in it. Because I'm often looking for that. I'm often looking for I want something set somewhere quite cold, but not too cold, you know? Stalestenskart's in it. It's generally good. Um... Safety Not Guaranteed, that was a great surprise Great film. Although his follow-up film uh, wasn't that strong, was it? Jurassic World. Oh, yes. Uh, All Is Lost, the film. Rock Redford, just in a boat. Literally only about three words are said in it. It is an amazing film that you must watch. Uh, Her, that was my good... but One of my favourites from 2014. It was Oscar-nominated, so I'll let them have that one. (laughs) Um, I'm trying to. I'm just going. I'm just going through a list. And Blue Ruin. I always bang on about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, great film. 
great film. That's that started your blues, your blue theory. Yeah, they're all films with blue that are good. <laughs> yeah. Um, favorite films that people have bought in. Yeah. Um, I think Rob Deering bought in Midnight Run. Yes. I forgot how great Midnight Run is. Yeah, yeah. It's a fantastic film, isn't it? Because it's in that weird comedy genre, that sort of comedy, sort of slightly thrillerish with Robert De Niro. But it's uh, a really odd um, tone to it, I think. Like, it works. It totally works. But Charles Grodin as well, who is the comedy-like relief almost, is fantastic. And he, I don't know him from much else. He uh, was recently in playing the granddad in a really disappointing film, While We're Young. And okay. he looks really old now. I've not seen him for about 20 years, but uh, he's great. So... If you want to watch those films, <coughs> excuse me, I'm probably ill. Oh. Favorite film this year so far? Yeah, probably it follows still. Yeah, still leading, still leading the pack. Wonder if anything will beat it. It's a bit of a fallow uh, period in films at the moment. I mean, Straight Out of Compton's got good reviews. That's coming out, but apart from that, it seems to be like oh, not not much, not much about. Hmm. Um, and in terms of your e- letters that have been sent in recently, um, Jack uh, Cooper sent in a film. For, he actually sent in, he emailed a link to a film. Jack Cooper? Jack Cooper emailed a link to a film. It's called, if you've ever wondered about the films that don't get made in Hollywood, which should probably... More than do. Yeah. This is a documentary it's made called The Death of Superman Lives. Um, and this is about uh, this is about Tim Burton's attempt to uh, reboot the Superman franchise after the Christo- Christopher Reeve had made it incredibly successful, but he wanted to do something very, very different with it. And the very, very different thing he wanted to do was cast Nicolas Cage. Um, I haven't seen this. You have. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Jack Cooper, for uh, sending us this link. Uh, I'm going to get round to watching it as well. What's it like? It's fascinating. It's fascinating because you just see, uh, uh, from our experience being, you know, comedians and actors and writers, we see a bit of the industry on TV, but just all the shit that you have to go through, and at the end of the day, it's just some businessman saying, yep, yeah, let's go for that, yeah. let's not go for that. Did, just did so, Kevin Smith write the script? Yeah, screenplay. so what, what happens is that there's... Um, this comic gigs basically gone around and met all the people involved. Kevin uh, Smith wrote um, the original uh, screenplay, the very first screenplay. Yeah, because he's a massive comic books fan as well, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, and he's, he's written Superman comics as well. Yeah, uh, he so he wrote the very first screenplay. So it starts off him talking about it and how he sort of wanted to put all these bits he put in into the idea of being going to the film. <coughs> and it got between him. And the producer, um, and the producer of this film is this bloke who uh, he used to, he worked his way from being a hairdresser, and he's fascinated with uh, his name's John Peters, and he's in the film quite a lot, and he's obviously a really powerful producer. He produced Batman. Rain Man, uh, all the men. He's done. He did Man of Steel. He was a producer on that recently, and Superman Returns. So he's been quite a with Superman. Only man films. Films with man in the title. Yeah, he is 
possibly one of the biggest bellends you could ever <laughs> uh, see. I mean, Kevin Smith talks about the fact that there are three conditions in the film. That Superman doesn't fly, he doesn't want to see him flying. Yeah. And that there's a massive spider villain called the in in oh, the actual God. in the film adding a spider but it's not called a spider it's called a arachnid fant- it's called some sort of phantasmagorical weird beast snag right. beast or something right and uh, later on that you can see uh, a version of this spider thing that he was obsessed with this mental producer appearing wild wild west with oh yeah 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 the mechanical spider yeah that's almost like him pushing. But it's famous that, that if you if you if you have, your body is a massive spider, your film will be trousers. Uh, it's a pretty good it's a pretty good system. If you've seen the TV movie of it, which has two two parts, yeah. the first half when they're kids is incredible, and the second half when it turns out that this this uh, supernatural cloud is actually a giant spider, it's rubbish. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Wild Wild West. I think Wild Wild West is underrated. I think it's fun, and I think Kevin Bra- uh, Kenneth Branagh's a good villain as well. well and Wild I love War- Kevin Klein, but Mc- Mc- giant spiders aren't scary. Well, Wild Wild West got made. They decide when um, is it Warner? I can't remember. It's Warner Brothers, isn't it? I can't remember. Whoever it is, I mean that's about my memory. It's only watched it a day ago. They just had a. They spent about ten or twenty million. Yeah, getting Superman ready. They, they fired Kevin Smith, they got another writer in, got Tim Burton on board. The film's got ton. They've employed all of this huge uh, like amount of people working in art and costume, developing it. They've got tons and tons of these beautiful, amazing pictures yeah. from Tim Burton's original artwork to how that was developed. They spent about a year getting this ready. But what killed it? Why did, if they've spent twenty million already, what what because there's the a whole film? series of films. That were total flops. That uh, uh, that they had about uh, was it Warner Brothers? I can't remember. Whatever it was, it is Warner Brothers who made Batman. They had uh, ten of the biggest flops around ninety six, ninety seven, and they had no money and they couldn't afford it. the budget for Superman right. Lives would have been about three hundred million. So they huge. had to cut their losses on twenty million. And they just thought Tim Burton as director mm. and Nicolas Cage as Superman aren't necessarily the most mainstream. Uh, you know. That, what year risk. are we talking? 97. 97. So Con Air had been made, hadn't it? And The Rock? Yeah, but he still, he out. wasn't, um, I'm not sure whether he was, but Tim Burton wasn't associated, other than Batman. Batman was just an off-the-wall film. It was too much of a risk. They just shot themselves, basically. There was no one there willing to sort of nail their, what is it, dicks to the mast? That, that's the phrase, yeah, nail their dicks to the mast. What is it, nail their uh, colours? Colours to the mast, or what flag to the mast, you know. It, it, or dicks. Anything, but, or dicks, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it, comes, like it comes from pirate, I know that, I know you do. Uh, it comes from pirate times, when, of course, uh, if uh, if you wanted to show your support of your captain, you nail, you'd nail your, your dick. dick to the mast. Yeah. No one was, there weren't any pirates <sighs> willing to nail their dicks to the mast. Too Too cowardly. Yeah. So they just wrote off that twenty million, and he's, Tim Burton is still frustrated that he, him talking about it. Saying he spent a year of his life, yeah, yeah, getting that film ready. They show how much work they put into Nicolas Cage's suit, into the, they, the spaceships that they, they were going to create. This all these monsters that were created to sort of come from. Um, <coughs> sorry, it's not called. Is it called Krypton? The planet Krypton. Yeah, yeah. It was an incredible amount of work. And Nicolas Cage 
what's gone round is a really bad picture of Nicolas Cage. Apparently, Brian Singer had a picture of Nicolas Cage, sort of blinking, looking really bad. Yeah, in yeah, suit. yeah. And they've got the footage from when uh, the, when they the costume filming. fitting. Yeah, and it was just a, a bad photo of him blinking that was spread on the internet. Yeah. Other bits of him in the costume look great. Yeah, and he would have played a slightly weirder Superman. Well, I like the idea him. that. Superman is an alien, so you play him as alien rather than as you know Clark Kent. It's it's an in- reinterpretation of the character because that isn't what he is. He's the the most straight edged American man actually in the comics, isn't he? But it would have been interesting. Well, since then they've made two really boring Superman films. They've made uh, Superman Returns, yeah. uh, which I think is a good film. Brian Singer made that, but it is pretty boring. The most boring thing about it is Superman, yeah. uh, where he seems to solve all problems by lifting things. That's it. He doesn't really use any other powers. He just lifts heavy things. And then they made Man of Steel, which is so boring. It's so boring. Have you seen, It links in Man of Steel with the, the new uh, Batman versus Superman that's coming out. Um, but in that uh, there's a scene in the trailer for Batman vs Superman where um, Ben Affleck's uh, Bruce Wayne is in the street watching the final fight between uh, General Zod and Superman from the end of Man of Steel but from a different angle and a a, a guy's done it online the heat vision sort of attacks mesh up exactly they've done it Absolutely, it could be the same film. Which oh, is really? Quite, it's quite a cool bit of detail yeah, yeah. about it. Doesn't make Man of Steel any more interesting. <laughs> but but you if know. you think a Tim Burton version of of Superman, Nicholas Cage, yeah, I, I, I would want to see it. Yeah. Don't you? You do. You That's want the thing. To you think I, I, I watch it just out of curiosity. I know you're. I don't Cage want them to make it now. Nicholas Cage is too old, and Tim Burton is too shit. I do not want to see that film made now. I would have wanted to see it in the nineties. But what's fascinating is listening to all these. Hearing this producer who'd go in and uh, and literally get pick, having his head a way of doing business, which is really bad with these yeah, artists yeah. like getting Is this the one? Because and... I've heard a story about um, uh, a producer going to Kevin Smith about his Superman script and saying, uh, "Can you write in? Uh, can you write in armored polar bears? Because yes, we'd be it. able to sell toys of armored polar bears." And he's like, "No, I'm leaving." Yeah, he's asked for all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. He's asked for all this mental stuff. He doesn't read scripts, this John Peters. Right. He lies down on his sofa and he gets the writer to come in... And read it to and him. And read it to him so he can visualise it on his on his ceiling. <laughs> he is a total bellend. An, an example of everything that is wrong with... Uh, hugely the, successful, of course. Yeah, hugely hugely, and successful. hugely successful. Yeah, yeah. Um, so oh, I recommend watching that. And thank you very much, uh, Jack. Jack Cooper. Uh, thank you, Jack Cooper, uh, for for sending us that. Um, well, that's about it for our trailer episode, I suppose. Yeah, um, we, we, you know, we've just been reminiscing. So if it's been a bit indulgent, but um, I just wanted to say, on behalf of both of us, I think, thank you very much for listening, if you have been since the beginning or for however long you have. I mean... And thank you for your emails. We appreciate you. Oh, we never thought we'd be going this long, did no, we? No, never, never. And long may it continue, frankly. I mean, if you'd like to email us, then please do. It's the usual stuff. Dearfilmfandango at gmail.com or you can talk to one another, post anything you've found on the internet, film-related, on our Facebook page, forward slash filmfandango. Or you can tweet us at filmfandango, at Mr. David Reed, or at Marit Larwood. And, yes, if you uh, 
want this podcast to keep going, then please go to filmfandango.co.uk and donate anything you can. Uh, and Why t- not donate £200? Why not? If you've got £200. Why not donate uh, 300 to- Million, and then we can pounds. then we can make a Superman film with you as Superman. Then we now you'd be Lex Luthor, wouldn't you? The I will make my film the Bombing Man. The Bombing Man. Who's who's Bombing Man's nemesis? Hmm? Who's his nemesis? Or is he the villain? Thick trousers. Thick trousers. <laughs> oh, I want to see this now. What's thick trousers do? He has got these really thick trousers that right. Bombing Man can't bum through. Oh no! So what? Like Magneto's helmet? Yeah, he he can. Bowie Man can bum anyone apart from thick trousers. So thick trousers is immune to his superpower. That I mean, oh, I, I'm getting a shiver down my spine just thinking about thick trousers. He would have really sweaty legs, wouldn't he, underneath? Because those trousers would be quite quite insulative, wouldn't they? Insulating. I haven't worked out what they've made of. If you want to <laughs> what come could... up with some materials. Or designs for the Bombing Man poster. Yeah. Or that was Buddy making a weird yawning sound. It was. Or for thick trousers, what he might look like. Yeah, then please do. And you can send well, I've it actually to got us. an idea. I'm going to try and make a, a film next year. It's not the Bombing Man, is it? No. Uh, what is it? It's called Timer Shit. Timer Shit? Yeah, original <laughs> title. Right. And what is it? A time travelling turd? Well, it's about a bloke. I won't tell you how it happens, but this bloke accidentally sends his shit through, back through time, and changes the face of of everything. And he's got to try and whose face does it land on? No, it just it changes the face of the world. Oh wow! Okay. Faces. Um, there was an old uh, LucasArts adventure game. Don't called... tell me I've done time of shit already. No, no, no. But it was called Dare the Tentacle, um, and it involved travelling through three periods of history. But they could only send objects back through time using a time-travelling toilet. They flushed objects to one another. Oh, this, isn't, this is just a, a, sh- a shit in a box. Um, <laughs> but So, time of shit, yeah, is yeah. Go- I'm going to be doing that. So, if you would like to donate a million pounds to that... That would be... I'll make sure there's great. a part for you in it, because since I've plugged it on... Oh, thanks, Denver. thanks. If you, but if yeah. you don't, I don't know if you want to distance yourself from it. Well, I'll read I'll read the script and then maybe distance yourself. I was going to start... Okay. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you. We'll be back next week with episode 201. Keep watching the films. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.